Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds in the past and present. And welcome to episode number 124 of the Foxy Podcast Show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. Um, I am joined in the studio with Gregory Euclid right now. Gregory is an artist and art educator residing here in the Minnesota River Valley, whose work has appeared in various exhibitions and publications, both nationally and internationally. And his artwork has also been closely tied to the music world, having contributed cover art for such artists and labels as Laskill, uh, Lubomir Milinik, uh, C. Buckthorn, Bonavir, and Erase Tapes. And uh, more recently, Gregory started up his own record label called Thesis Project that focuses on collaborations between two musicians or groups, resulting in a 10-inch record housed in handmade packaging that Gregory creates on his own. And it is Thesis Project that uh, brings us here together in the studio today. So welcome, uh, Gregory. Nice to have you. We've been talking about this for a while. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, nice to uh, meet up here in the summer. And uh, I should mention that the opening piece that we play, that was from Aaron Martin and Tillman Robinson, comes from the uh, new uh, set of releases out on Thesis that just came out uh, just a month or so ago. Was that the last batch? they're unfolding. (laughs) See, I get the... I get the music long before, you know, I get the test pressings back and then I start making the artwork based on what I can listen to in the test pressings and then it's like the process of making the work and so on. Yeah. So right. they're they're it's they're not evolving. A con- right. It's not a conventional like this is the release date. There's no hard release. Right. It's a very soft release. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who are ordering out there, we can get into the specifics. Just be patient. Yeah, this right. thing's just let it, it's let it simmer. Mm-hmm. Let it simmer for a while. But uh, we're, we're going to be talking about Thesis Project, playing a bunch of stuff from mm-hmm. the various releases that you have put out, and then carved out some time at the end of the show for you just to play some music that is maybe, uh, I don't know, connected to the label or just kind of influential uh, to the label. And we'll just uh, we'll take it from there. But I thought we'd, we'd start off just talking a little bit, um, you know, your artwork has come to be closely tied to to the music world and I, I'm sure obviously the success of the Bonavir album <laughs> had a hand in that or played a pretty big part. So I was wondering, you know, was that the first time that you had contributed artwork to a musical project like that? Um well, I had made a lot of mixtapes when I was a kid. <laughs> with, with, with your own <laughs> with, artwork, with my own of artwork. course, you yeah, have yeah, to. Yeah, and I remember trading mixtapes with Wendy and Carl out of the oh, yeah. Detroit area, um, and they would always send me these great, you know, amazing mixtapes. And uh, then one time I got a, an idea to send Cranky a um, piece of artwork that I did. Mm-hmm. And I actually got a response, which apparently is not very common for, oh, nice. for, for that uh, avenue of communication but yeah so that was kind of like oh maybe there will be people that are interested in this and I did a couple album covers for bands Um, I don't know I think I've always been so interested in music that there's this natural correlation between Mm -hmm. the the, like mark making and the fact that you know much of the work is kind of lyrical in itself like it's very line based and flowy and so on so I think people kind of responded to that and I did a few album covers before that, but definitely the the Bon Iver, uh cover kind of threw it over the top. Yeah, how did yeah. that how did that connection come about for you? Um, my partner was very good friends with someone who was very good friends with Justin. Okay, um, 
and they had suggested that he look at some of my artwork and he responded to it and then mm -hmm. kind of um we ended up working on that together so that was actually the first time that i had worked on an album cover with someone right. like you know back and forth kind of mm -hmm. thing uh previously it had been like someone saw a painting or something like that that they liked and they were like hey could i use that for the album cover or you know vice versa where it was like they just gave me the music and then i made a cover but with justin it was like you know texting in the middle of the night like hey <laughs> add this or don't add that you know uh, it wasn't ever that explicit, like, you know, more water, you know, uh, but it was very, it was <laughs> yeah. very coded, you know, yeah. like, um, like if I went back, I don't I didn't know if I have any way to do that, but if I went back and looked at those texts, it, I would just remember feeling like, like, uh, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, like some hand that was transparent was like guiding, guiding the process, <laughs> That's right. you know, telling me to go in this direction, but not actually saying it or meaning it. Yeah. Sense, yeah. But, well, yeah. that record that you did, the self-titled record of his is very much about like rooted in, in place is like, like, yes, yeah, like place or space okay. is, is important. And I think that definitely has a connection to your, to your artwork. So I, I can see how that, I mean, it goes hand in hand. Sure. For that and release. I get, you know, a lot of feedback from people saying, like, I couldn't imagine a better, you know, marriage between the two, uh, yeah. music and mm -hmm. image and so on. But, yeah, in terms of having that image as, uh, you know, I, I've been an artist long before that and had right. what I would consider, you know, more successful whatever type uh, shows in New York and whatnot. But, um that thing kind of put me in a place where I could be hanging out. When I toured with Lubrubier and Melnick, I was sitting in a coffee shop in Berlin across from uh, the Funk House, and uh, I'm in the coffee shop, and someone says, like, hey, what you look like you're not from here. What's what's up? Why are you here? Mm -hmm. Start talking, and I tell them I'm an artist, and they say, well, what do you do? And I said, well, kind of like a landscape. And, well, maybe you've seen this album cover. And they're yeah. like, oh, yeah, of course. So it's like having yeah. a little portfolio that you right. can carry around the world. Right, exactly. Well, um, you kind of already answered my question about this was really like one of the first collaborative things that you've, you've done. And um, I was kind of wondering then how – can you explain how the seeds of this new project, uh, thesis project, kind of took root? You know, was it through these experiences of working with musicians uh, on albums that you were kind of compelled to, like, start a label of your own, that kind of back and forth, <clears throat> that dialogue that you've had? Yeah, it's, um, to be honest, it's, uh, I've always loved music more than visual art. Mm -hmm. I think when I was just talking to the guy who does my uh, website for me, he's an ex-student of mine, he lives in well now he lives in the Hague but um he was from Budapest and I was just talking to him about like how the further you get into anything normally for me the more disgusted I get with it <laughs> so the further I got into the art world the more I like showed places and the more I understood like how the game works yeah I, the more disgusted I got with yeah. it and so um yeah so when I thought about doing the record label type thing it was n there was no i want to make a record label mm -hmm. i was actually sitting in a bar at the 400 club listening to vic chestnut oh ooh, yeah and i'm watching this guy up on stage and i'm thinking how much is he getting paid to do this show mm -hmm. you know how much is he getting paid to tour you know think about the number of musicians in the band the driving all this and right. that and i was just thinking like 
would he make a song for me if I gave him like two thousand dollars? I mean, like, could you imagine if like right. Vic Chestnut made a song for you, which would be just a, like good compared to touring, probably. right? And it's like crowdfunding, I guess, yeah, yeah. where you just say like, "Hey, we're going to give you this much money, and you don't have to tour. You just write anything you want, but yeah. I want to be the impetus for like you." having this time to do that yeah so that was like mulling around in my head while i was watching the show and you know five years later i won this grant from the mcknight foundation and i thought wouldn't it be kind of interesting to just like you know ask people to make music right right and you know like i said music has always been more important to me than visual art it just so happens that like if i tried to play piano or guitar it just you know i end up sounding like a real minimalist and not yes. on purpose <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> clunking that same note yeah, over and the it. thing is is i kind of like it too, yeah right so it's i'm the like same way with the that, piano in the basement oh does that one note sound good right it's like the neil young solo right i could just yeah so you didn't really ever see it i mean you weren't thinking of it really as like like a quote unquote canvas for your own artwork. It was more like the, the music was really kind of the driving. Oh, the only force. reason I do the artwork is because I don't have the money to pay anyone else. You know, I'd <laughs> yeah. rather pay the musicians. Yeah. If I had a million dollars, I'd be hiring other artists yeah. to collaborate Mix and do up. this and that, but I just don't have the money. And part of the whole like idea behind thesis is like, I want to pay the musicians what they're worth. So yeah, yeah. we give them money up front. Um, I've talked to musicians about like, in terms of compensation, like, is this a good, you know, um, uh, like, is this a good amount? And everyone I've talked to so far has said, like, yeah, this is better than what we normally get. Yeah. And so that's important to me. Um, and like I said, I, I have a fear that it, like, comes across as being egotistical. Like, you know, oh, his artwork is on everything. Yeah. But, you know, since this is going out to people, if anyone feels like doing free artwork <laughs> and coming to the studio right. <laughs> and putting in, like, three hours right. per album cover, if you're willing to do that, yeah. like, let's go for it. For you, it's, yeah, it's more, like, uh, cost-efficient to keep it in My labor is cheap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, yeah, uh, so then the other thing that kind of started the whole project was uh, being on Twitter. I saw Taylor Dupree. Um, owner of 12k he posted something about uh great lake swimmers um concert and he said you know like go to minute 423 mm -hmm. so beautiful and i was like okay here's this guy that i've listened to for many years bought everything on the label you know uh totally respected his uh, output and it's very minimal like found sound kind of stuff um, and he's saying that he likes Great Lake Swimmers, you know? I was like, so it's okay to like folk music? <laughs> you know, like there was like this door that opened. Yeah, that I can do like, this. <laughs> yeah, like it's okay to tell people that I, I like, you know, Gregory Allen Isakoff or mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, you know, these folk musicians. And then I just thought like, yeah, I mean, I think on the outside often – artwork or like design minimalism things like that mm -hmm. and have this cool kind of facade that like it's like oh we're so yeah. you know um and I, you know i get it because being in the art world i understand that like you know there is this certain amount of posturing like you know this movement versus that movement or this theory versus that theory kind of thing but like to hear him say that he liked this 
kind of folk music, I was like, wow, this is great. So then I just thought, like, who could I put Taylor with? Like, could I ask him to make music with someone who was like a folk musician? And I just thought, well, Sean Carey, like, that would be amazing. (laughs) Well, you've just done my work for me because we're going to set up because that was the first track we were going to play here because it comes from uh, the very first release that you did. This is Sean Carey paired with... uh, uh, Tyler Dupree here and was that that right there was kind of like the that was first the collaboration that you were thinking of yeah huh? that was the very first one yeah so this here is going to be a track from that release it's called the iron town Thank you. 
All right, we just played a few more tracks. Uh, we ended up with this nice piece. God, we went just such a beautiful track from uh, Raphael, Anton, Irisari, and Juliana Barwick. That is just A1 from uh, Thesis 10. And then we played from La Cille, not Lasco, La Cille, <laughs> and C. Buckthorn. <laughs> track called The River Cold and Primal. And then at the very top, we heard uh, Sean Carey and Tyler Dupree with The Iron Town. And uh, beautiful, beautiful tracks. That's kind of a cross-section of the first uh, set of releases and one of the more recent ones that you've done. Um, but I thought we'd keep talking kind of about some of the specifics with Thesis Project. And uh, it's essentially a vinyl-only label, though I know you've started to offer... A few different options. I mean, there's like these CD uh, compilations called Thesis Collected where you're pulling together kind of like a, I don't want to say a best of, but like a track from each of the releases um, that you've put out. But you've mentioned online that Thesis Project was created as a reaction to what you were noticing about your own listening habits and how you were like consuming music, basically. Um, Can you explain a bit more about what it was that you were noticing and then why you've had chosen to forego offering digital versions of like the complete albums that you're putting out. Um, It's a complicated position to take. I mean, we get hate mail because of the vinyl only type (laughs) thing. Um, And I'm conflicted. You know, some days I want to be listening to it in the car and, Mm -hmm. or like, you know, on a walk. And uh, because I run the the project, I actually get the digital version and I'm able to do that. But, Mm -hmm. um, Ultimately, um, the reason why I want to have it be vinyl only is because it's a tangible object. And CDs are tangible, but there's something about the absurd nature of vinyl, like that it degrades every time you listen to it, the care that's needed, and mm-hmm. you have to dust it each time, you know, all the peculiarities of vinyl that made it perfect for what I wanted the project to be. And because what I noticed is that I was, you know, having hard drive upon hard drive of music and then not knowing the names of songs, not knowing what the album cover looked like, uh, not knowing the order or who played on what. And I just thought, like, I'm consuming music in the same way that, you know, I think uh, America is gross in every other way. Like, (laughs) I am just as suspect as uh, all the other kind of absurd things that go on in America, like the way we consume products. And I was like, art should not be consumed in the same fashion yeah. like something needs to be sacred in our society and like for me that's really it you know other than uh maybe food coffee like you know i care about where my right. coffee comes from i care about where my food comes from and then there's music and that's right. it and it's like if, if i don't hold those things sacred or hold them in a higher regard than you know all the other stuff in my life then it's like I think that's a sad existence. So, yeah, yeah. So we decided to do these like really intricate projects that are supposed to be held and listened to. And, you know, uh, it's really great to talk to some of the musicians uh, who understand that, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that that's like a, a really unique thing in this industry. Like even right. small labels are doing things on a level of like, basically there's not much difference between a small label and a big label. Yeah. Uh, it's just production size. 
Um, but when I talk to these musicians, they say like, you know, well, this is really cool. Like you're putting in effort and work that goes well beyond what anyone is willing to right. do. Yeah. There's a lot of labor involved in these yeah. and we can, we can talk about that here in just a bit. Um, one of the other things about thesis project is you, you kind of have these different, uh, different facets or different branches to the project as a whole. First, there are these collaborations between musicians that we've basically been discussing, you know, that was kind of the, the impetus or one of the things that kind of initiated the project mm -hmm. as a whole. Um, but then you also have these separate series and one of them is called the print track, uh, series where musicians, if I, if I have the details correct, you're basically responding, uh, to a work of a visual art or something yep. else. Um, how would you describe the basic differences of, of this series uh, for the, from the other releases that are coming out under kind of the standard banner of Thesis Project. I wanted the print track series to be like a little bit more of a long form song. So uh, okay. the full side of a 10 inch. And we started off with Ed Carlson. He did like a, a beautiful suite of, you know, three different movements within there. Um, and the idea was to have either someone create a body of work um, and then have me make a piece of artwork that responds to that mm -hmm. or vice versa, where I'll make a piece of artwork, send it to them, and then they can make a, a piece of music based on what they pull out of that. And it's evolved, which is the way I think it should. Like I'm working with Rawlson right now and uh, Derek Hunter Wilson, um, and we went back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I sent a video of some light uh, dancing on a piece of mylar and then oh. he created some like, uh, it was like uh, twigs that I had held up to the sunlight and the sun was like flickering and I captured uh, on the backside of some mylar and it just looked like shadows. And then he went in and like grabbed some wooden instruments that he made and started recording these like little Oh, cool. Yeah. Kind of things and like mm -hmm. used those as the beat. And then I sent that to me. And then, I, you know, we just kept snowballing this stuff. Right, right. And eventually it got to a point where like my image looked nothing like the original image. Yeah. And his song just kind of kept evolving. And it's so it's a, a more of a, a long form project, which is different than me just saying like uh, musician A and musician B get together and do what you yeah. want to do. Does your visual art, I mean, I, I imagine this must be the case that. Uh, there must be a sense of like uh, painting sound, yeah, like this blurring of sensory synesthesia. Yeah, absolutely. And I've always, for me, music—that's probably one of the reasons why music is so important. When I, when I'm working, at least in the beginning, like in you know, um, when I was like at my you know peak in terms of like I felt alive with the world mm -hmm. you know like things just pour out of me now I've got kids and I got this thesis project <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's there's barely anything alive. all I have is coffee to keep me going <laughs> yeah no but like you know when everyone knows that time period in their life when you're a musician like or an artist that you just have this moment where it's like things are just flowing out of you mm -hmm. and at, at that time I, I recognized that like every movement that my hand was making every gesture that the brush or pencil was making was essentially a, a transcription of some type of motion in nature mm -hmm. and all those motions had sounds and I teach and so my yep. students are like how do you do that and then I'm always like it's like this right. you know <laughs> yeah, like right. everything has a sound associated with it and uh, you know that's why I think it kind of makes sense for me in terms of like every picture has a sound every gesture has a sound and I try to bring that into the into the actual graphics. Right, right. Well, another aspect or another 
branch of uh, of the thesis project now is something brand new that you just announced recently. It's called thesis arrangement, and this is like maybe so new that uh, there's nothing physically out there yet. But maybe you can describe kind of like what separates this from the other you know parts of thesis project that you were talking about. So arrangement is a result of uh, Y Music contacting me and saying that they would like to release something on the project. Um, but they weren't sure how it would fit in. I had been in touch with uh, several musicians um, and possibly working with Y Music and those musicians working with them, but then they had talked to those musicians and said that they had this project and they were looking for a place to, to output it. And so um, I just said to them, you know, like whenever I have a decent idea or something comes my way, um, we just make a new, like, facet to mm-hmm. the project which right, is the right. cool thing about it being a project i guess is that we can just start this new wing <laughs> just call what we yeah what, whatever, whatever. <laughs> it's thesis arrangement right. <laughs> and so arrangement is where a uh, composer will take someone's work rearrange it re-record it and basically like remix but it's right. not necessarily a remix because it's like you know you're you're playing it. It's, you know, right. I think a traditional remix is like I get your master tape and yeah, I, like, right. I take that sound and reduce it and mm-hmm. maybe duplicate that or whatever. But like this is actually like a composer will actually rearrange someone's piece. So yeah. they're rearranging two Sif John Stevens uh, tracks right, yeah, right. uh, from uh, his Year of CD. So right. they're doing mm-hmm. Year of the Boar. And, uh, you know, so it's going to be really beautiful 45 one side. Uh, two tracks on one side, played at uh, 45, and then the other side is going to be laser etched. Oh, so, very nice. Yeah, yeah, and there's six people in the in the Y music, mm-hmm. so every one of the records will have like a different graphic based on one of those musicians. Oh, wow! So I, I do often a uh, photograph of their hand, hands, right? Do yeah. a line drawing, contour line drawing of their hand, and then add some element to it. So we kind of worked with elements of nature that uh, are persistent in the years of the it's the 11th year and 12th year yeah uh or yeah for the cycle um and so each album will have like a different combination of cover etching so it'll be kind of cool yeah yeah very labor-intensive process but yeah i mean i wanted to to hit on that maybe before we go into this next block of music here but yeah i mean this is you, you talked about you do all the artwork here this is a very like hands-on operation from could you just like uh, give us a quick overview from start to finish like the time involved not just the i mean the correspondence and getting the records but just producing like the jackets and everything for each one of these so they start off as a just a flat sheet of paper and then i have to cut the sheet of paper down to fit on the laser cutter i go in and do some illustrator design uh usually based on the city where they live the uh, geography map and then their hands and then some other elements that get uh, kind of modularly worked in yeah, so yeah. every album cover is different um so no two are the same um then what i'll do is take and make stencils Uh, So the cover actually gets cut out, like let's say in a jacket situation, the jacket gets cut out. It's got like these, for lack of a better term, die cut, but they're laser cut, you know, elements where you can see through. And I don't use any ink. So uh, all the song titles and everything like that are etched in with the laser. Um, Then make the stencils, use the stencils with airbrush onto the actual cover. And then I do a drawing 
on the sleeve and so there's jacket and sleeve and I do a drawing on the sleeve and airbrush these stencils onto the sleeve fold them glue them uh, yeah it's it's about roughly a three and a half hour process for the whole thing we start from like for start each, to finish for, for each cover. cover yeah so have you found a way to like speed up that process now that you've done a few it's runs funny. of these i was talking to the uh, gabor my friend who does the web stuff and he's like you need to figure out a way to <laughs> make this more uh economical right more efficient <laughs> yeah, yeah and right. i was like um i think i i you know i've reduced it to the lowest common denominator yeah. there's some things you like you, you can't know, unless i have someone else doing some of these things for me yeah um which defeats the point for me right. it's, it's got to be labor it's got to be hard and it's got to be labor intensive in mm -hmm. order for it to be meaningful for me because i could release these records and just have uh Standard you know jacket, someone yeah. jack you know someone print the jackets and make the sleeves or whatever but then it defeats the point of the whole project right and that yeah right i mean that is definitely something that uh it's distinct like, that yeah. separates what you're doing from other labels it's catholic work <laughs> It's guilt, <laughs> guilt work. It's, it's all coming back, it's right? Penance, right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> put your out, put your time in, right? <laughs> well, let's let's play a few more tracks here uh, from some of uh, again, kind of a variation of the releases that you have. I'm going to start off with this one from Sophie Hutchins and Julia Kent. Beautiful, beautiful piece here. And I was really probably more familiar with Sophie Hutchins' work. Uh, I think she had some stuff out on that like preservation label, if I remember correctly, out of Australia. Mm -hmm. And um, but this is a nice pairing here, and uh, this came out though it is thesis number six. This was actually part of the most recent set of yep. uh, three, right? Yeah, or three or four. This is the third set. Third set, yeah. yeah. And when the the numbers that are on them just kind of correspond to whatever you know, it's like Tetris. Yeah, <laughs> whatever fits, right? right? Yeah. So this is a, a piece from them. It is called Three Layers of Light.
All right, closing off that last set there, we heard uh, a nice extensive piece there from Anju called, uh, is it called Keto? I think that's the name of the track. That's been half of our discussion off mic is just figuring out how to pronounce (laughs) certain tracks. But hey, that's a great great opportunity to work with. uh, I'm sure for you, a pretty important group. uh, Anju being kind of a new uh, endeavor of former members of uh, uh, well, no, not LeBradford. Um, yes, yeah, LeBradford, yep. I had to think for a second there. Yep. Um, but uh, cool stuff from them. And then we heard from uh, Takeshi Nishimoto and Roger Doring with a really cool track called Rigor. That was from Thesis 3. And then we started off once again with uh, Sophie Hutchins and uh, Julia Kent with Three Layers of Light. And uh, the second part of the show here, we're going to kind of mix things up a little bit. And uh, Gregory's brought along a stack of seven inch singles and um we're going to be playing things maybe talking about some of these tracks and uh, their connection to thesis and or just in general but uh that maybe before we got into that i was just going to ask you in general kind of getting back to this idea of uh, your your connection with music and, and the and the label itself and i know i think we've talked in the past about some of the writings of Damon Krukowski of, of the group uh, Galaxy 500 and he wrote this widely shared and discussed article a while back it was called How to Be a Responsible Music Fan in the Age of Spotify and I actually saw this was it the past week there's like a little video that popped up which was kind of a condensed animated version uh, of that article yeah I gotta watch it yeah I saw that but it kind of I... it boils it down to some of his key points like how you how you can do that and uh, maybe to paraphrase you know one of his main points or maybe two of his p- main points was that for listeners to consider where their dollars are going and for them to look for uh, personal experiences with music that offers the richest personal impact and I'm wondering do you feel like is it possible for labels like such as thesis project or I guess any other notable label for that matter can they encourage listeners to be and i'm throwing up my air quotes here responsible music fans in the current musical landscape that we're in well we uh, you know we risk being labeled highbrow or elitist or whatever but ultimately like that's kind of it i mean record collecting is a privilege it's mm-hmm. a privileged like hobby. First of all, it's expensive. Second of all, like the player that you have to have is, you know, I mean, you could get a cheap player, I suppose, but like the care of the records, all this and that, the time, like, you know, you have to stop what you're doing, sit down and listen to it and like takes time. Um, all those things are like, you know, who has time, who has money? Like right. these are not like your average, like, uh, I think listener which mm-hmm. is why Spotify is so popular um, because it's just everywhere and anywhere and it's free right, for the right. most part. And so um, we have tried in thesis to make a product that is uh, something that maybe is desirable to hold something that mm-hmm. like asks you to be um, present with, you know, it's like, the actual product itself is kind of precarious. Like there's all these little pieces glued down and right. so on. Like it's not like, you know, glossy, you know, like it's die cut. So there's like parts that you have to be aware of while you're handling it right. and so on. So handle with care. Yeah. Be and uh, it is gentle. And so like when I grab a record, I always am aware of like, if I screw this up, like that's it. Like mm-hmm. I got to go to, I guess to Discogs and like try to, uh, you know, it's not just <laughs> like, Oh, go re-download it. Right? right. Right. And so I, I actually, 
really respect a lot of what he is saying in his articles about like responsible listening. And yeah. I've always thought about like, you know, you vote with your pocketbook and mm-hmm. like, what do you want more of in the world? Right. You know, I want more creative people doing things that are uh, maybe not poppy or, you know, things that I agree with, things that make me when I first hear them go, what the hell was that? Right, right. You know, that's like initially when I know something's good. Mm-hmm. The first time I heard uh, Colin Stetson, I was like, what oh, is yeah. that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? right. And How does he do that? Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, just like that's one person, like he's a beast, mm-hmm. you know, and that that has happened time and time again where I hear something that is like kind of like makes me stop in my tracks and then that like I don't necessarily enjoy it or agree with it at the beginning but it's like um, putting your money into those things and actually buying it is important to me like as a as a person Mm -hmm. uh, I try to buy all the records I can because I feel like that's like giving the musician something right as opposed to just streaming it or whatever yeah I know a lot of times I've told people that you know when you when you buy a record or a cd or anything on a physical format that you know you've invested in it that you'll give it more time like and i think a lot of times you know especially when i was younger maybe in college when i didn't have a lot of money you know if i bought a record you know there's i mean i would listen to that for a month obligated to it yeah there it is and there would be records that (laughs) legitimately i just you know i didn't like but i it took time and I came to appreciate it. I mean, there's artists that I, you know, some of my favorite artists to this day are ones that I initially were completely turned off by. Captain Beefheart, prime example. Hated that Trout Mass replica when I first heard it. Sold it. Came back to it years <laughs> later and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like totally open open things up. That but, was like Lou Barlow's Sentry Dough. Yeah, oh yeah. The uh, first time I heard that in a used CD store, I was like, oh my God, this is so like, unusual ukulele hardcore like what what is this and i was like i don't know if i could buy it and like went back like four or five times and finally i was like yeah okay this is this is gold but yeah when it's there uh, taking up shelf space you've paid for it i mean it's very easy though with like certain digital things i mean i have i have thousands of records that i don't i can even tell you what's in my itunes right now yeah well that's so. the problem i think is like uh for instance i'll find a band that i like and i'll just go buy everything of theirs mm-hmm. you know and they've got like 30 albums or something like that 20 albums where i'll find a label and i'll just go buy everything yeah because i love it and then it gets consumed in a way where like all of a sudden now it's six months later and I haven't listened to more than three of those albums. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem is that there's just too much music out there. Yeah, it's there too is, yeah. easy to produce music. It's too easy to distribute music that we're overwhelmed with the output. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were talking about this, the idea of the death of the album or mm-hmm. like, you know, what what then is there? This like slow drip of music and like nothing really commands your attention. There's no monumental release date or like putting together of the songs to make a statement. It's just kind of like everything kind of like comes out one after right. another in this endless stream. And, you know, I think of it as like being like summer for me. 
it's like one day melts into the next <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. as a, you know, and you need, I feel like I need something to like latch on to, to be like, Hey, this is a special occurrence. Like this right. is the thing that I want you to pay attention to and have a moment with yeah. as opposed to it just kind of like always coming at you. Right. Right. Well, we're going to play some uh, tracks here and, and some of these kind of go back to, we'll say your formative years, yeah. <laughs> something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that this first one is one of those. This is from Spaceman three, uh, seven inch single that you brought in and I, I don't even have the oh here's the sleeve right here so you've got this one and we're going to play um, a remix version of I Love You and I can't even like what what album <laughs> time period was this from here uh, it's from Big City yeah okay so this is like uh, in my high school years I remember, I mean, the album covers for Spaceman 3 were oh, always great. so great. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the fact that there were like, you know, 50,000 versions of every album. <laughs> right. Oh, this one's got Marianne again. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, you, it was just kind of, you go to a store. Uh, I was always going to stores in Madison and yeah. Milwaukee, and you'd go to the Spaceman 3 section, and there'd be like, you know, 13 albums that you hadn't heard of because you're like, what is this? Like, <laughs> Red bootleg version. Another version of it, yeah. yeah. I was like, but for a, a person who, you know, I mean, obviously bands like Grateful Dead and things like that, they have all those different versions of songs and stuff like that. But for a kid to have an obscure band like this, have all that catalog out there, it was kind of cool to right. discover new things. More. Were this, was that like your first band that kind of turned you on to more like, to lack of a better term, like more far out sounds? Um, well, you know, I was into The Cure. Oh lot. yeah, like way sure. early Cure, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that I think was kind of at the time kind of out there. Yeah, I and mean, they were they had their pop hits, but mm -hmm. um, they were definitely you know not something that you would put on. Like no one's going to throw pornography on at a party <laughs> or the top, you know, unless like, you have your you know your get together <laughs> with your your favorite goth friends, right? Yeah, right. and just hey guys, <laughs> <laughs> and just stare at each other right. and look sad. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's some of it's kind of dark stuff but that's what I loved about it and yeah. so Spaceman oh, yeah. 3 was like this blues kind of uh, repetitive stuff that yeah. was just like yeah it really clicked with me very hypnotic sounding yeah, yeah. but uh, well let's play this and then we'll play a few more tracks and come back and, and talk a bit more so here again is Spaceman 3 with I Love You the remix version <laughs> Ah! 
We just heard some seven-inch singles there. Uh, ending that set was a uh, Jessamine, um, taking it back to the '90s. Uh, this is like the '90s seven-inch era. Actually, I was actually talking to someone about that. How the, how the '90s were such a peak time for the the seven-inch single, where you could buy, you know, singles for like four or five bucks, and now you're lucky if you can buy a single well, for like under ten. Yeah, and a lot of the bands that I started listening to I think I started listening to them because there was a 7 inch available and I just liked the artwork Right, first American Analog set uh, mm. that came out uh, I got a 7 inch of that and I, you know, I just thought the art look, looked cool. Right. And I was like, wow, okay, so this is a good band. <laughs> right, that was a way to like check out bands right. for cheap. You know, that was the Spotify of that era, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, but the track that we heard from Jessamine, it was called "Your Head Is So Small, It's Like a Little Light." Uh, uplifting there, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then we heard uh, a group from a cool little seven-inch EP, uh, Fuchsia, is how. Uh, yeah. We've decided. Don't we're trust gonna... any of us. <laughs> pronunciation. Right. Track called "Some Soviet Station." Uh, cool uh, seven-inch single. As I mentioned, it kind of features four different artists from 
a Michigan scene, and we'll, so. we'll talk yeah. about that a little bit more in just a moment. Um, and then we played Spaceman Three with "I Love You," uh, the remix, and uh, yeah, the Michigan scene. One of the groups that was kind of central to that was uh, Windy and Carl. We're going to play something from them from this thing called this Instrumentals EP. And you were mentioning off mic that they were a band that was sort of kind of in, you know an early influence or an inspiration. Uh, in terms of maybe musically and giving you some suggestions and stuff and uh, some of the artwork that they did for their singles too. And I have no idea how I came across them. Uh, I know later on they were on Cranky and uh, obviously that would they would have been on my radar then. But, yeah, um, yeah. Um, in the beginning I was just getting mixtapes from them. And I think, you know, one of the things that drew me to this type of music is how accessible the people are. Like yeah. even now with Thesis, it's like you can just send an email to someone and actually get a response. <laughs> right, right. Which is really kind of cool because right. like these people in my eyes, they're like gods and goddesses. You right. Know? It's like these are the people doing the things that are, you know, the most important thing to me. Uh, and they respond. And right. Then, and m- some of them might just be like the librarian down the road. Yeah, too. or your math teacher. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. You know, like, yeah. uh, you know, I was... I was amazed to see what jobs these people hold because then, you know, I mean, yeah, they're just, in my eyes, they're the world. And Wendy and Carl sent me countless mixtapes expanding my horizons. That's happened twice in my life. Once I met a guy at a soccer camp Mm -hmm. and he exposed me to like ministry and all these weird, you know, bands from the eighties that were uh, sisters of mercy, like the dark industrial Jesus and Mary chain. And like after that camp, like nothing was the same. And Wendy and Carl was like the same way. They just uh, would make these tapes with such great, uh, diversity of music on there and stuff I'd never heard. Well, what what got you into touch with them to start sending mixtapes? That's what I was saying. I have no idea. I never really sent them mixtapes because, like, at that point, I would have been sending them, like, you know, uh, I don't even know, some grunge or something like that. I don't know what I would have sent them. Um, But, like, they certainly had knowledge of stuff that I was not in tune with. And I I honestly have no idea how I found them. I know that uh, we tried to get them to come to, uh, I was the head of the bands committee at our college and we tried to get them to play our college. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's a drive all the way from Michigan to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You got to go around the lake. That lake, yeah, Yeah, complicates matters. (laughs) But yeah, we were commenting on this, this seven inch single. In fact, it has some of the elements that I would say are very, uh, thesis project like sure. you know ha- there's some like hand painted elements some I don't know if it's screen printed now it's just printed upon but um, kind of some cool elements to the artwork for this single here yeah they would always put uh, you know a personal touch into it and what you know is it the most amazing looking cover I don't know but I just loved the the fact that they put all that effort into it and that they cared enough about, I mean, cause being an artist, I knew how much work it took to actually make those right, things, right. uh, just, you know, other than just having them printed, but it, it just showed me that they, you know, they cared about the music enough to like put effort into it. Yeah. I totally respected that. And I think that definitely that's come through in what I do now. Yeah. Well, let's play this. This is a uh, Wendy and Carl.
That was a nice track there from Simon Scott. And you can tell we're playing that on actual vinyl there. Yeah. <laughs> some some crackles and pops. <laughs> but uh, nice piece there. And Simon Scott, someone that you might be maybe working with. Can, yeah, we, can we talk about that? Sure. <laughs> I mean, enough of these projects develop and fall through and develop and fall through yeah. that it's... Uh, Whatever uh, he's working with, Mike Weiss uh, from Chicago on, a, on a probably a amazing ambient type thing. But yeah. I, I insisted that he sing because oh really? You don't ever hear Simon Scott sing, and that's that was, a, that's an excellent yeah. Vocal. That was nice yeah, right there. It. In front of that, um, because I want you to say it, I'll just say BP, someone who you've worked with on the label. Yeah, our pronunciation. <laughs> deficiency <laughs> yep i'll say benoit Pilar. there you go with the track fur from the seven inch uh fur that came out on type and uh he has a release was it a print track one or was it one yes of the, he's also on print track two with yeah. uh will sampson yeah beautiful pieces uh mm-hmm. vocal piece that's like stellar and then windy and carl start us off with uh instrumental one and man our time is already winding down here this went incredibly quickly here yeah. today a lot of fun um thanks so much for uh, bringing stuff up and for hanging out it's been, thanks for having me it's been a lot of fun and uh do you have any other major things coming up maybe how about just uh, artwork stuff any shows that you're doing uh, outside yeah, of uh, the world of thesis project solo show that's uh taking up a bunch of time yeah uh, creation in the studio coming up in san francisco at a hashimoto contemporary mm-hmm. uh, in september and so. what kind of stuff are, I mean, more like installation like, pieces or um, more of the I landscape? Actually, yeah, I have a coyote that I uh, took a hole out of his chest and built a little <laughs> uh, diorama inside of it and waterfall spills out of him. Oh, crazy. But, uh, yeah. And then just, you know, the average work, which is kind of like relief and diorama, yeah. drawing, painting, the, and stuff. The average work of having waterfalls coming right. out of coyotes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that yeah. just sounds like the yeah. average, right? <laughs> no, it'll be, it'll be a little installation part. I think yeah. I'm going to make it kind of spill off onto cool. the floor. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we're going to finish things up here. Um, and another artist that we mentioned earlier that you're going to be working with, Why Music, here uh, performing with Jose Gonzalez. And, this is uh, where I first saw them live uh, in Minneapolis. I think it was okay. at Pentages. It was a wonderful concert. I was just transfixed by them. Mm-hmm. We drove all the way to the Winnipeg uh, Folk Festival a couple years ago specifically to see Jose Gonzalez. And uh, it was so hot and a storm was coming in that we never did see him. Sad. So I always told uh, my partner that we would uh, go see him whenever he comes to town again. And I don't know if he has come through since. Uh, uh, no. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that was the last time he came through. Yeah. Um, but he's so effortless. Mm-hmm. And, like, he just makes it look so easy. And yeah. And just like... Uh, you know, he's super talented. Right, right. Well, this, uh, what is the name of the track that we're going to play here? The name of the track is With the Ink of a Ghost. And this is going to bring us to end once again. And uh, thanks again, Gregory. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. Good luck with everything, all these projects that you have. And here again is uh, Jose Gonzalez with Why Music. On the last 
prints in the clay Reading rocks and vines Telling indigo from grey Telling indigo from grey Scattered grace of light Under springs in the air All berries in the tree Burn a steady flare Among the mirrors of the sea Some appear frail and incomplete In a vast field of bays She runs From the deepest valley passes on
Serene between the trees Serene with the tide 